<clears throat> shall we? Yes, let's shall. Ready graphics? Ready theme? I know how Corky would dance. They either thought I was nuts or they were looking forward to seeing it. I said, yes, I, I just, I had to tell you this, I just know how she would dance. And they said, so you want to dance for us? Well, you know, if you want me to, <laughs> I just, I think so. I had this thing. I thought she danced like Betty and Veronica. And just as a reminder, we did record this in February before the pandemic. And when you're done listening, remember, we would love to hear from you on our social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Murphy Brown Pod. So I know that uh, you had been on a short-lived show called The Popcorn Kid that got a lot yeah. of attention. And obviously, you also did some guest star appearances on 30-something. We've talked a little bit about your audition experience from what we've heard, but I'd love to hear how Murphy Brown came into your life. Uh. I was working on 30-something at the time. I had been playing Janine, Michael and Elliot's secretary, and that is Ken Olin and Timothy Busfield. And I was strictly brought on. I remember I auditioned for them, and, and I was going to be a kind of a guest star, like maybe one or two episodes possibly. Or, you know, they decided to make me recurring only because they just, when I was in their office by happenstance for the audition, they just said, we're going to throw you a line. And I, this is what I want you to say. We're going to ask you for coffee. And they said, Janine, coffee, please. And I, they said, you just say, no, thanks. They said, Janine, coffee, please. And I said, oh, no, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and they laughed. And I, nobody had ever laughed at me. In fact, Meg, Meg Lieberman had said when I auditioned for Facts of Life and many other things, <laughs> she would bring me back. She said, you know what? I just think what it is is that you just don't have comic timing. I just don't think you get the comedy timing thing. Mm. We've heard this a lot from cer certain women who have been known later on to be amazing at comedy were told early mm -hmm. in their careers mm -hmm. that they couldn't do comedy. It's so crazy. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know that I really thought about comic timing. Mm -hmm. So I didn't disagree with okay. her. And I was in a class at the time that I went in and it was Lynette Katselis and she's now letting Lynette McNeil and she's teaching. She taught like you know, Jane Leaves was we, mm -hmm. we met in class and mm -hmm. uh, a lot of really great people came through her and a lot of comedians that actually wanted to learn to act came in through her class. So she was good with working with comedians. But, you know, with me, I said, oh, oh my gosh, I, I know that I don't take myself seriously. So if I don't have comic timing, I'm going to learn how to have comic timing because, you know, that's something I know I, I make fun of myself all the time. So that's what I worked on. And it was, it. I didn't care about doing comedy until she told me I couldn't do comedy. Then it's that thing when people say, no, you have to go, oh, I have, I wish you hadn't mm -hmm. said that. Uh, my acting teacher in high school, same, the same thing. Uh, when my sister cut Effective Gamma Rays on Man in the Moon Marigolds, I think it was, she didn't mean it. She just, I had, my sister had cut the piece for me and she had recut it. She was very religious and she didn't like that. She said rabbit crap and she changed it to rabbit droppings. And my sister said, okay, you simply cannot say rabbit droppings. <laughs> I'm not going to let you do that. The playwright wrote that you're going to say it. Blah, 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 blah. 
So all year I competed with it. I kept placing and Miss Miss my teacher. She was like all proud. She thought I cut, you know, blah, blah, blah. It was my idea. I cut that piece. Well, my sister had actually cut it for me. And she came into my finals round and I said, oops, she was sitting there for my finals round at the state champions at Louisiana National Forensics League. It was a big deal. And uh, she's, I was a, I think I was a freshman at the time. And she had told me, she said to me, actually, you will never, she came to visit me after my room. She got up and she walked out. She said, you will never be a success or something like that. I was devastated. Ugh. My daddy came in with my Coke. He went to get his Cokes. You know, he, you know, he went with us as chaperones and stuff. And he brought me a Coke from the, you know, the, the little, he was a lot like Corky's dad, you know, mm-hmm. in that episode. He was just the sweetest man. And I told him all about it. He said, darling, don't you worry about her. She just must be very sad and lonely. <laughs> and <laughs> I said, all right. I mean, true. You're never, you're, but so when, she told me I wouldn't be a success. And I was like, I really didn't care about acting that much. But then I decided I had to really act. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew I could do it because it wasn't all that hard. But anyway, so that I going back to the thing with Meg Lieberman later on, Gary Marshall, he said, I want you to come and I want you to present an award. The casting directors, you know, they're important. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see if you'll come. We're honoring Meg Lieberman. And I said, <laughs> he said, yes. Do you know her? I said, I know her so well. Oh, so well. He said, really? He said, he said, really? Did she cast you in something? I said, never, but I do know her very well. So then I went on to, present the award with her. And I told the whole story and I, and to, to be honest with you, she was absolutely right. I worked on it in class. I learned what comic comedy timing was that you could, you know, certain things are designed with a rhythm, Mm -hmm. you know? And I learned that from Barry Kemp as well. I had done before Murphy Brown, I did a show called the popcorn kid and Barry Kemp is the one who I had to, answer a fel- uh, telephone call and Barry uh, and Will McKenzie, uh, who was also an actor, he's the one who said, you must have been a nerd, you know, because he went on to direct, gosh, I mean, he did all, most all of the Raymonds. Everybody loves Raymond and stuff. But, you know, these people all, con- as, a, as a collective, taught me. You know what I'm saying? It's like I got learned from the best. And Barry Kemp said, I don't understand why that's, he goes, you're missing a laugh there. And I said, I, I don't understand what, what you mean. I had the thing in the phone. He goes, oh, but it's when you hang up the phone. And I said, I'm sorry, I am not following you. And he did it for me. He showed me what to do. I did it. Laugh. Not kidding. It was just the simplest little thing. And it was a physical as well as the thing. And it was the timing thing. And I probably couldn't recreate it now. I'd have to find the episode. And I'd say, yep, that's what he was talking about. But it was it was when I went into audition for Murphy Brown, I'd had enough comic exposure, including an audition that I had auditioned for Diane for my sister Sam. I didn't think I got it. But I because my agent never mentioned it to me again. I went in and auditioned and it was for a magician's assistant. 
right? I said, oh my gosh, I've always wanted to be one of those. That or a Price is Right lady hmm. to do that. Oh, yeah. Was it Barker's Beauties? Yes. <laughs> when I went in, I was like, all I had to do, very, very little I had to do except that, ta-da. And I remember holding it so for a very, very long time. Ta-da. <laughs> when I was younger, I probably held it a lot longer. I have a tendency to do that, but uh, I got it. Diane told me later, I never understood when I went into audition for her. She said, you know, I never understood why you passed on, on that music, magician's <sighs> assistant part. I would have loved you to do that. I immediately called my agent. I said, you passed on the magician's assistant? I wanted to do that part. I didn't even know. I thought I didn't get the part. I couldn't believe it. He said, no, it's not that I passed on it. It's that you really had something else that you were doing. And, and I didn't think you could. I said, you could have at least told me. I got uh... <laughs> So I just remembered the audition was a day when I had three auditions and I was, I didn't, it's not that I didn't want to do 30 something again, because I did want to do 30 something again. It's just that I felt like I'd played that note and I wanted to go further and it was 30 something and I was barely 23, you know, and I knew that unless they did something dirty with my character and one of the older people, I was just going to, which they didn't do in that day. They do it now. But I said, I was just had no, uh, my purpose had been served there. And uh, so I was open and my agents wanted me to, instead of, because they were offering me a contract. And so instead of doing that and taking the easy route, they pushed me into being more. And it was Murphy Brown, Wonder Years, and I can't believe, remember, it was something else. Wonder Years was to play the sister, and Murphy Brown, you know, and everybody was talking, but they said, but the Murphy Brown is the one that has the most buzz, and we really want you to do Murphy Brown. And I said, that's with Candace Bergen, right? And they said, yeah. I said, she's the most beautiful woman in the world. Mm -hmm. And I said, she's, she's very, very smart. She may hate me. You know, I was just like... She may very well hate me, but she won't show that she hates me. She'll just be sort of disappointed in me. <laughs> it will be one of those things where I'm sure she won't overtly hate me. She'll just think, oh, such a waste. Oh. I, I had this idea that she was going to look, you know, mm -hmm. I just, and so I said, well, I'm just going to go in as if, Right now, I'm just going to go in. And so that's when Diane told me about, and that kind of gave me a boost of confidence. And I was reading for the writers and producers and everything. And I read it and they laughed. But then I thought, oh, that's just, I walked out. And, you know, they tell you to never do this. Lauren, I walked out and I thought, I just got to go back in for a second. I opened the door and went back in. And Diane's words were, don't come back in. <laughs> you know, that she, was back, she was like, oh, no, don't come back in. Because, you know, sometimes they blow it when they do. And I said, I just, I, just, I just thought of something. I know how Corky would dance. And they said, 
they either thought I was nuts or they were looking forward to seeing it. I said, yes, I, I just, I had to tell you this. I just know how she would dance. And they said, so you want to dance for us? Well, you know, if you want me to, I just, I think so. And I just, I had this thing. I thought she danced like Betty and Veronica. <laughs> And I just did the whole Corky. I just did it. And then I just became, I, and, and sitting, of course, sitting. And she would always, you know, she learned how to sit in finishing school and how to get out and everything. And I did this whole thing. It was a whole physical thing that really was not what they were asking for. And then I said, okay, I'm done. Bye, y'all. And I just left. And I think it. she said it was great because... I don't know why she said it was great, but I guess it helped. But it could have really killed it for me. But that was my audition for Murphy Brown. And then I went on to audition. Then you you passed over. See, back in the day, we would have to audition seven, eight, nine mm-hmm. times, yeah. you know, for things. I think Matt didn't. He just put himself on tape. But we had to be paired up. Mm-hmm. So I had to go in and read with Candace. That was a day, I got to tell you. It was a monsoon in Burbank. I, 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 I'm used to Louis, rain in Louisiana, but that was a day like no other day. I had gone out and put on my credit card that had a $500 limit on uh, to the department store. I don't think it was Macy's. It might have been Bloomingdale's. Can't remember. And I got a silk suit, blue silk suit, Tahari, I believe it was, or Ellen Tracy could have been. And I got a pair of shoes, a Nina pump, and I had my pantyhose and everything on. And I got out of my car and I started across Olive. And I'm not kidding you. It was like a river runs through it. That rain, it was just, it built up out of nowhere. And I had, I had an umbrella, but it blew. My silk suit, you know what silk does with rain? It was drenched. It had spots all over it. It as it dried, it started to crinkle and draw. Yep. And and my shoes were filled with water. So they oh. they made a sound. They went oh. and I I did my hair was perfect. You know, it was the eighties and I had a lot of hair and I had it I had naturally curly hair and I had it ring I had it curly and stuff. The hair <sighs> The hair was like a drowned rat. And I thought, what what the hell am I going to do? Well, I, I had a bow, like one of those barrette bows that they had that were barrettes. And I just mm-hmm. took it all back and I put it in a base ponytail back here. And I tried to let the ringlets happen. And I said, okay, all those nightmares I had about Candace Bergen hating me, she's definitely going to say, what <laughs> has the cat drug up today? <laughs> Because I was looking especially swamp girl that day. And I came in and I just thought, I, all I, this was the first thing that came out of my mouth when I saw Candace. And it was God's honest truth. I said, you are so beautiful. <laughs> so beautiful. I'm just so beautiful. <laughs> I'm not like misty-eyed, you know. Because she had been doing those commercials for perfume. And I was looking at that woman who had just so, it was C, right? Didn't she have a commercial, uh, uh, perfume called C? I don't remember the name of it. I just remember because she parried it on SNL. Oh, sorry. No, I remember C. I remember the commercials. I cannot remember the name. 
Yeah, I just remember she parodied it on Mm -hmm. SNL, and so I've seen the parody of it, but not the actual perfume. See, I had never seen her on Saturday Night Live. I had seen her. She was a model and a beautiful perfume lady. Mm Because you remember I worked (laughs) in woman, beautiful, gorgeous. I worked in a department store. Did I not tell you? (laughs) I also pushed perfume in Macy's for a part-time job. So it was was like a big deal for me. And then... She had dark glasses on, these chunky dark. She just was effortlessly beautiful. And she had missed the rainstorm. She had gotten into the offices before I did. So it was one of those things where I it, I just, I was hoping. And I read with her and everything. And she laughed. And she thought it was very, she actually laughed when I was telling her how beautiful she was. Because <laughs> I think she, she probably just thought it was honest. And because it was. But uh, anyway. That was my my Murphy Brown experience. I went on to audition at CBS and, you know, everything. But I think I was, after that first round, I was pretty much their first choice. And I think that's what Diana told me. Um, and then it was just a matter of getting, you know, doing it many times so they could see that you weren't just a one-note wonder. Because, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes people will audition once and they were good, and the second time, not quite as good. Go back to where you were at the beginning, and they never get it back. One thing I will say about me is that once I get it in the pocket, I just repeat. Mm-hmm. Unless somebody asks me to do it different, it's like I just repeat, you know? Yeah, no, of everyone we've spoken to, um, everyone always laughs how they were not the first choice mm-hmm. except for you. Yep. <laughs> they go, oh, no, they, they list all the people who, was, who wasn't their first choice, and they go, except for Faye. Yeah. Well, that's because Diane and I had an unbeknownst history that I didn't yeah. know about. And she had wanted to cast me before. And I was like, so you knew me and you remembered me? I just remember thinking that was the best of the best, you know. And, you know, because yeah. really Diane is, you know, she was a school teacher just like my mom was. She was an English teacher. And, and of course, her name was Diane English. So, uh her her words I knew had to be verbatim because she was a school teacher and you know she her she goes through all the scripts with a fine tooth comb just grammatically checking them you mm-hmm. know so they were all grammatically correct you know so but anyway well I think that that's a fun part about these auditions is a how often we all everybody who's been a part of this has had their moment of imposter syndrome of like, what am I doing here? When are they going to figure it out? When is Candace going to look at me and just think I'm this crazy person from Louisiana? And, <laughs> but also just how many people, I, Lauren and I have talked about this as actors, every audition that I go on that I think went terrible, that's the one I book. I mean, yeah. my grad mm-hmm. school, I remember leaving laughing about how that was clearly never going to happen. And then they apparently loved me. I had no idea. I thought that was a nightmare. And you know, these things are what happened. But I think part of that is because of at the end of the day, they're looking for you and they're looking for Corky to be in the room and you walking back in to say, I know how she dances is one of the most quirky things you could have done because you, you ask questions you're not supposed to ask. You do the thing you're not supposed to do, but she wouldn't know that. Mm-hmm. No, she, she didn't know anything yeah. Yeah. about any of that. She just was off, you know, living like, you know, flying by the seat of her pants all the time, pretty much. Mm-hmm. I think. Well, something also that I had heard that I, I really appreciate was that uh, you'd spoken to Diane before accepting the role that she wouldn't just be sort of a, you know, a blonde, uh, ditzy uh, airhead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, what happened was, you know, I thought I was going to 
audition for that and audition for, you know, I was, it was like a golden moment, you know, I, I, of my life that I look at that year. I went from nobody caring to everybody caring. And I think it's what you don't have is what you want the most. And I, that continues to happen in my career. It just happens whenever it rains, it pours and you can't do all of them and you have to make a decision on one. And I remembered when it came to my biggest hesitation about Murphy Brown was not working with Diane was not the writing was not anything. It just kept that little voice was in my ear saying, I don't know, you're going to be the kind of woman that women are just going to want to hate. Candace Murphy, her character is really going to need you to step up. You're not going to be able to just do this. You're going to have to find something that you can be equal or better than, than she is that makes it levels you out in some way. And I don't know what that's going to be, but otherwise it's just going to, and I, and I knew that I didn't want it to ever be a sex joke, sexist joke with the boys. So the boys immediately had to not see her as, and I didn't see Corky, Corky as that way. She was a beauty queen by default. That was, I was comfortable with. She wasn't the most beautiful, but she had to win. She, she won somehow. So if that's how she was put into FYI, and Diane wanted to have a conversation with me because she was wondering why I wasn't just going, yes, because of the buzz and everything. And I, I just remembered my agent bringing me into his office and me him putting me on the phone with Diane and me getting really sort of slightly emotional because it was what was seeming to be on everybody else's, you know, from everybody else's standpoint, the opportunity of a lifetime. But for me, it could have also been the death of me, you know, because I could have just, it could have been one season and there, she's stilted, tired, let's get somebody else. You know, if there was ever an environment for that to happen, it was this one. And I thought if she doesn't learn, this is what I told Diane, she was, what is your main concern? I said, I just need her to learn and want to learn and want to get better. My mother was a school teacher. My sister was smart, like Murphy is smart. I had to work harder than my sister did to achieve half the results, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And I said, that's all I'm asking for. She's never going to be Murphy, but she's at least going to try to, at, when she's given the opportunity to do the best that she can do, and to its fullest. And what she does know, she knows really, really well, you know, and it's compartment compartmentalized because if I think for one minute that I'm playing just a dingbat, everybody else is going to see it that way. And I can't, can't see her that way. And she said, well, I tell you what, she said, I'm going to write it and I see what you're saying and I want her to grow too, but you are going to have to do it. You're going to have to perform it. And I said, I'll take that challenge, you know, and that's what she did. And it was, it was a slow process, but I knew that it was, it was like, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day and neither was Corky and Murphy's relationship, you Mm -hmm. know? I think it meant a lot to me as a, as a young woman growing up with it. I mean, there's many of us who are now in our thirties and forties grew up with these women on our screens and, what I appreciate, along with what we've said about there are different types of women, there are different types of resilience, the, what I appreciate and something that I feel like I lost for a long time in my, in my teens and 20s 
on TV was the the concept of intelligence and female intelligence that uh, something I appreciate about this show is that the women who co- who are on the show, whether they are the recurring women or guest, is that intelligence is not an exception in the female experience, that Murphy is not an exception because she's smart. All of these women are intelligent. But the idea that what I appreciate about Corky so much, and especially on rewatch, because you just see how hard she works and a knowledge of self that makes her a go-getter is she is not one, she's not a dingbat. She's not just a punchline, but she has the capacity to learn and the interest in it. And she could, had she been put in a different scenario, she could have been the Murphy in the same way. But what I love is the idea that she, she has a capacity for growth and an interest in growth and the different types of intelligence that we see. It's not just that, well, a woman like Murphy, she's a dime a dozen. It's, she is in many ways, and not because she's smarter than the average woman. It's that all these women are intelligent, are smart, are go-getters, and that we we should be validating rather than trying to just have the... I, there's an article that came out recently talking about dispelling the strong female lead. And mm, yeah, I, I that's something I appreciate so much, the nuance that occurs in Corky. I mean, she is the heart of this show. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, the new female accepts their failures Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they have pride in their failures and their flaws and the the female of yesteryear did not allow those to be there you know Mm -hmm. that's just who i am and you know i'm mad as hell and i'm not going to take it anymore you know now it's like as a result of you know the 80s and all of those women like working girl yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah a great example of the woman that shouldn't do well and she used her horse sense mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. get her into that world. Uh, they just did it recently with Jennifer Lopez uh, in a movie. Was it a couple of years ago? Uh, was her uh, where she was a girl from the the Bronx and everything, and she ends up lying and getting this big corporate job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, her her friend makes up a resume yeah. for her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, so I think that happens more often than you know. There's nobody that's supposed to get out of Louisiana, really, on paper. <laughs> you know, we're not. You know, nobody, no, no woman is supposed to get. You know, they will. I remember even when I was in high school, going to South Louisiana, they didn't have tra- tra- uh, traditional Southern rural accent. And anybody that was from my area or above, they sound a little bit more like this and they're a little bit more country and, you know, and and they're very educated. But just because they have a country, you know, southern kind of drawl, they're Mm -hmm. dumb. And down south, they're they've got that patois and they're like a little bit more French. And then if they're not even French, they're they're sort of don't have an accent. And so that was something that I was introduced on in, in high school so that when I went to New York, you know, the, one of the other things I had to do was get rid of my Southern accent. I had to lose it. So I found this woman, Mae Monroe. And cause my boyfriend at the time said, you know, unfortunately there's only like two things that are Southern <laughs> that year. He said, so you're going to have to lose it because I had a good ear and I, for music, I could hear myself, even though I didn't like listening to mm-hmm. myself. But I had I had enough money that I think I had five sessions with her. And I, she said, the way you're going to lose it, she was from Texas. Her name was Mae Monroe. And she said, the way you're going to lose it is by listening to yourself. And all a Southern accent is a lazy tongue. Southern people just don't like to open their mouths, and they just don't talk very much like this, and they're just kind of real soft, and they just uh, roll down and roll down. And, just, I was like, mm. and I said, you know what? You're absolutely right. 
we don't enunciate properly. So accepting, that's what I, as I'm going back to Corky again, accepting that she had to, if you're going to be put in with the big boys, you, when you're given the chance, that's why the brass ring episode was so crucial for Corky, (laughs) you know, she took it and, uh, it was, it wasn't the way Murphy had, but Murphy had to, <laughs> Murphy had to say, yeah, you know, she, she learned. And that was, mm-hmm. that was, that was Diane and Corby and whatever saying, you know, whenever I said that to her, when I took the part, they sort of certainly wrote it, wrote it on, on that occasion for sure. But, um, did you want to ask me about Jane? Oh yeah. Jane. Yeah. We would love to ask you about Jane. Yeah. It's funny because when I saw the wedding episode, I didn't realize that was her first episode. It's not oh, actually. It's her third episode. It was the third episode? I thought it was. Yeah, it's her third episode. Oh, that's funny. But uh, that that whole, look, Jane and I were similar in the sense she was from England and came over with a suitcase. I was from Louisiana via New York, and I came in with two suitcases. And uh, she was here before me and she was in class before me and she happened to be in the class that I was in. And uh, she was a dancer and she was from England and she's very dark, very dark hair. She's very punk, very, 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 very punk, like crazy. And uh, she, she was one of those who we met and we was like immediately, you know, I loved her because she wasn't a real talker she was also an observer she was very shy but when she got on stage boom you know very different from me you haven't even seen I would say 25% of what Jane can actually do Mm. happens a lot uh she's she's truly you know her daughter is my goddaughter as well as Perry Gilpin's goddaughter, as well as her sister Katie's goddaughter. She had to have three godmothers <laughs> because you, <laughs> but uh, because her daughter decided to be an actress and she is up and coming, you will see that that's why, it, what kind of mother Jane was and how she was is she was constantly uh, a theater, you know, ballet dancer and, you know, and stuff. She was always on point in our apartment. Uh, we sh- we had the least amount of money, so we shared a room together. And Pat Carroll, do you know Pat Carroll? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Her daughter was also in our class, and she had her own bedroom, you know. Uh, and we all lived together, and I did most of the cooking, although I did. J- Jane did do a nice English roast. And so we had a really nice time living together from, I would say, 86 and a half somewhere around there on through until and I was on Murphy Brown and everything and uh, she did throb she was the first one to get a series like a real series that was on the air and it was throb with Diana Mm -hmm. I remember throb I watched it when I was very small yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, and Jane actually was pretty like she was funny she never really worried very much about dating and men but then she would bring home but they would come to pick her up at the apartment and like I would answer the door when it was like Glenn Fry picked her up I was like 
You mean like Glenn Fry, like Glenn Fry? You mean like Glenn Fry from, you know, yes, yes. You know, I told you Diana Canova was friends with him and they met, da, 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 da. dated him. She dated like, you know, Paul Stanley from Kiss. I mean, it was just like all over the, you know, but she never wanted to go out. She, it, Craig Bierko, she went out with him for a little while and uh, oh, yeah. he ended up being on Murphy Brown. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Uh, he was very great. But I remember, like, it was after Throb, and then I got Murphy Brown, and Jane kind of fell, you know, she just kind of wasn't kind of hit, she was at a dark, like a, what would we call it, a little bit of a slump, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I just, you know, I was like, I couldn't have that, you know, I couldn't have that at all, and I remember we were just finished doing our press thing for Murphy Brown, our first big press photo shoot, and Grant was there. And I just kept looking at Grant and then Grant didn't have a girlfriend. And I remembered guys that like Jane liked. And I'm just like thinking, I wonder if Grant would like Jane or Jane would like Grant. And I'm not really going to match make them. So then I just sort of asked Grant if he would come over <laughs> to the apartment after. And it was like immediately uh, Jane thought he was hilarious and funny and cute and adorable. And they sort of started dating and, and stuff like that. And that started that whole kind of relationship, that, that thing, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and there was chemistry there. And I remember there was a part that came up for the show on, on the show. And I think Diane kind of was thinking about Jane, but then she wouldn't have, I don't remember how it ended up happening, but Jane, Jane went in and uh, she got it. It was fantastic. Uh, that she ended that she created such a great character, such a great, oh, I forgot how much I, she used to make me laugh in that, in that part. Um, and that was all sort of taken off their relationship <laughs> in real life. I mean, she would have these nicknames for Grant. <laughs> I think she called him Pookie. Oh, oh <laughs> <it>. no, <laughs> it's adorable. <laughs> But it was such an English mm-hmm. thing. I was never Faith. I was Fatty. <laughs> fatty, fat, you know. You know what that came from? Like I did this movie. Erwin uh, Winkler produced a movie uh, with, uh, it was John Savage's brother, Jim Young's was the lead. And it was called You Talking to Me. And it was a guy who was obsessed with Travis Bickle, the character in Taxi. And I was like the young ingenue. It was like my only ingenue part I ever, I ever played. Oh, it was so hard. I ended up, I had no, remember I've talked to you about my body image, but I had no swimsuit body at all. And I remembered having to, you know, do this scene and stuff like that. That was a whole other story. But I just remembered it was, I, I digress. I forgot what my, my, my thing to Jane was, but anyway, Jane, I, the video came out. That's what it was. And on the video, it was, they listed my name for the movie and it was Fatty Ford. Oh no. Fatty Ford. They didn't spell my name right. Jane, we must've cried. We laughed crying. Fatty. <laughs> Fatty. <laughs> Fatty <laughs> And then I did something else and the video came out and the name, my name on the video was Faith Fond. <laughs> so oh, from that point on, I was Fatty Fond. <laughs> but, 
Anyway. I feel like your name is that hard. Jane, Jane and I have yet to actually really work together one-on-one, but one day it's my dream that we'll get to play oh. old broads that to live together <laughs> that are reunited later in life. Oh my gosh, I would green light that in a second. But I, I called her, um, what did I call her? Um, well, I can't say it because it's kind of, we, 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 got, we got a little, we got a little, you know, girls, mm-hmm. girls can be a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh, speaking of nicknames, I would love for you to talk about how you got the nickname, and I believe I, I have this correctly, of Swamp Thing on set. Oh, that's clear. It's because I was, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that was uh, Candace. Actually, we were constantly being asked, you know, how she does her little sketch drawings and everything. Yeah. We would do like our uh, caricatures of each other. And because nobody else was really good at it, I did them. But Candace and I would do lots of different drawings and caricatures of different people. I did Joe and she did me. She was, let me do you. And she did this amazing caricature of me in a P-Row with a crown on my head because of my character. And like my mole was always in my big smile. I don't even know. Ever what I, she would do these and they would be auction items. And she titled it Swamp Queen. <laughs> And it was, it really came from Candace and, uh, she still calls me swamp queen, swamp thing, swamp girl, you know, so I go right into my Louisiana thing, but that's where it came from, you know, but I'm really just, you know, faithy, faithy. but, uh, I call her can do because she can do mm-hmm. anything decide she's going to want to do, but, um, so oh, you got everything you needed from me? <laughs> yeah. Is there anything that you can think of that you would like to talk about that we haven't covered? Uh, you know, people have all, often asked me, they say, you know, especially recently, it's too bad the show didn't keep going and we love the show and everything. And then Diane says we did the perfect 13. And I'm sort of somewhere in between because I say we could have, we had a lot more to say you know, mm-hmm. and, but I support Diane a hundred percent for the reason she did what she did mm-hmm. and the way she did it. It should be an example to future women because I do believe that have had Diane. So if they said, Oh, it's too political, it's too this. I do believe in my heart of hearts. If she had done anything different, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have mattered, mm-hmm. you know, cause we were mm-hmm. at a regime change. Yeah the chief problem that happened. And whenever you have that, everybody, it's kind of like nobody wants to date the other person's girlfriend because they've already been there first. I think we just fell in a time that it was just destined to happen. But when Candace says it was the perfect 13, it was everything that our show needed to be at the time that it came out. If we had been any less political, they would have said, what happened to Murphy Brown? It's so white. It's just, it's not really even dealing with anything. So I applaud them a hundred percent for sticking to their guns and doing the show they wanted to do. Yeah. No. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and particularly, you know, the, the shows were shorter than, than they had originally been when you guys did the original series. And, you know, I think there were a lot of challenges because of that. And I love what came through, you know, that it could have, it could have tripped you guys up and I don't think it did. It didn't. And you know what else? I, I really love that 
yes. she put story first and yes. situation first. Um, at that time period and the time we did it, I think it needed to be that way. I mean, there were times that I was just crying my eyes out, you know, and so many issues that they dealt with. And uh, I appreciate that. I don't like to gloss over the times because the times are very divided mm-hmm. right now. They still are. How many, and we're over two years from the time we started, the mm-hmm. still completely divided, you know? No. Uh, I, I'm hoping that we'll find a, a common ground in there somewhere, but. Something that one know. of my, uh, the people in my cohort was talking about recently that made me think of the revival actually was that we don't remember the full runs of shows. We remember the episodes that mattered when we needed them to matter. And uh, mm-hmm. we talk a lot about, uh, we talk a lot about the West Wing on this show as well. We talk a lot about Frasier because Jane again. Uh, but these, you, you don't remember the full scope. You remember the things that impacted you and that's what made it stick with you. It's what makes you keep watching. And I have friends who knew that I had this podcast. And so they're like, oh, we'll watch the revival. And I remember multiple of them coming to me the day after the Thanksgiving episode aired. And saying that it was exactly what they needed at that time. And if anything happened, at least that happened. You know, like the, these moments, like it, I think it completely validates it being there when it was for those singular moments. Oh, uh, uh, I was that that just my soul was just it still continues to be crushed over what's going on with immigration. I mean. Some of the best people in our country. I mean, we're all immigrants. Oh, by the way. Yeah. I mean, just just watch. If you get yourself, you do yourself a favor and watch Ken Burns' The West. It was mm-hmm. done in 96. Okay. It was the year Campion and I met. And we're all, no, I mean, the Native Americans, I mean, seriously, it's, it does not belong to this <laughs> land. When they say this land is my land, this land is your land, the your is all of those immigrants. It's mm-hmm. everybody that's here, and it's our it's our land to borrow for just a very short time. It doesn't belong to any of us. Agreed. So that's the way I, I see it. Well, I have, I have one last question for you. There's something that's been on my mind as we talk about looking back at and having this revival experience. Are there any storylines that you secretly wanted Corky to go through? That did not happen. Hmm. Mm-hmm. In the past, uh, you know, it would have been nice for her Ooh. to have been fired. Yeah. Ooh, oh, yeah. And see mm-hmm. what she would have done with that, because they had me all this relate. All my poignant, quirky episodes were usually about not mm-hmm. relationship oriented, mm-hmm. whereas I didn't feel like. Corky really ever married for love. I think she married because they loved her. Particularly the first one. Yeah, the first one particularly, I think it was, that was what she thought happened. It was storybook and fairy tale and whirlwind and that's what you do. And she was the emotional person, but I think it would have been sort of cool. Diane was long gone, but in later years, and they had a few times when I had these, this great episode where I say, I look at Murphy and I say, oh, my God, yes. I'm you. <laughs> uh, but bearing that in mind, I think that if we had continued, I would say, I would have loved to have seen that happen. And actually, 
if I were to do it again, knowing what I know now, I would have liked to have either had a flashback episode to see mm-hmm. Corky lose her job, see that happen, as opposed to just talking about it happening. I would have, I was just so happy to be back with them. Uh-huh. I would have never said anything. But uh-huh. how great would it have been to have actually seen that play out, mm-hmm. you know, and have her show up to this thing, how it just had happened. So we get to see it and then it just happened. Of course, it's not about Corky, but there's something about that woman that keeps yeah. failing up. Some yeah. way. That's human. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or, you know, something that they're happening, it's happening to my sister a lot lately that people are saying, we're not worried about you. You'll always mm-hmm. land on your feet. Ha. <sighs> You know, and I had an agent one time who said, you know, he said, Faith, don't worry about you. You're always going to work. Oh, <laughs> that's good to nice hear. To hear. I, I don't always feel yeah. it in the moment when nothing's happening, but that's yeah. good to hear. <laughs> I, I never think that. I never think that. I always think, no, mm-hmm. the hustle is real. You have to really, I would like to think that work begets work, but it's not really about that. Life is it just keeps reinventing itself. Our business keeps reinventing itself in a good way. And it keeps the challenge, you know, for us. You know, we should never get lazy and rest back on our laurels and think past work is going to elevate mm-hmm. us onward. Because then you just get you just get yeah. people walking through it. So I, I always mm-hmm. like a, a, a challenge, you know. And I, it would have been nice for Corky to have had that, you know, uh, right there on screen. Mm-hmm. Well, this a has been more. amazing, Faith. You, you, we would love to have you on again. Mm-hmm. Maybe talk about another, another after we've gone through season three and four, or we didn't get to talk about hope and faith at all. <laughs> oh, yes. That's my other love. My other love, my Kelly girl. Love her. She's really like a sister, mm-hmm. to be honest. You know, completely different relationship. But we yes. will. Yeah, we'll talk no, again. we'd love to have you on. Thank you for doing this. This has been great. Thank you so much. It was worth the wait. Yeah, it was definitely worth the wait. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad you guys have supported the show. It just is so wonderful for young mm-hmm. women and men. Mm-hmm. It, it's really, it's really great. Cause there are a lot of really great mm-hmm. men out there. I married one and, uh, that really love women and women mean a lot to him, to them. And, uh, so good for you for fighting the fight out there and, Lauren, I'm going to keep you in all my thoughts, sending positive Thank thoughts you. your way, your health stuff. Same and, here. Hey, look. Hey, look. We're just going to yeah. keep on keeping on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. That's all we got. That's Thank you right. so much. All right. Bye. Have a good rest of your Sunday. Bye. Bye. Bye, Bye Jesse. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our interview with Faith Ford. So we're going to take a bit of a break. We're still going to be recording the podcast, but due to what's going on right now, we're most likely not going to be posting a full season until later on in the year. Yes, we want to make sure that we're honoring the temperature of of our nation right now and the world. I mean, there's a lot going on and we want to make sure that we are not taking up space that is better served. What needs to be, as we said, amplified in the moment. But we are still working. We are still watching Murphy Brown. We are. We will be back with you, uh, but we want to make sure that we're doing it in the most um, ethical and considerate way possible. Jesse and I just want you to know that this podcast and the Murphy Brown community means a lot to us, and we really look forward to coming back and connecting with you guys again. We can't wait to see you then. 
until then, please speak to us and keep in contact on social media. And until next time, stay safe and healthy. We love you. Bye. Bye. Bye.